Okay, welcome to another edition, a special Christmas edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. My voice is a little scratchy for some reason. Um, I don't know. It was it was like this. Uh, I did another podcast, <clears throat> and it was like this without snow, which was a week or two ago, and now it's uh, feeling. You know, now it was feeling good for a little while, and then all of a sudden today it just got worse again. So I'm going to be taking drinks in between while we're talking. I uh, got a lot of a lot of questions, including one major uh, email from an anonymous source um, that I'll be addressing today. And so that's that's pretty fun. Um, yeah. So let's just go ahead and just get started, shall we? Fun, fun, fun. Uh, oh, and by the way, let me just say. I have been really excited about the amount of guests and the positive response responses I've received from the podcast we've done recently. And it's, um, we just keep having really cool guests come on from celebrities to just people I know to, you know, psychologists and, uh, um, just uh, everybody that I've had. I have, I haven't had a bad podcast. I wouldn't say I've ever had a bad podcast, but there's some I've loved more than others and some where people were like less interesting than other people. And so far, it's just been all really great, especially being able to have that podcast with Austin this month. Just really, really cool. So uh, thanks to everyone who's been along this ride with me for over 100 episodes now. We're still going strong. Got a lot more stuff in the can. Working on a couple of really big podcasts that I'm hoping work out. although. I don't know. Uh, some of these guys you got to chase down. I've had a few people ask me, <clears throat> how do you get these guys? How do you get some of these these people? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you that a lot of these people, it's funny. Um, I would say that there's a lot of rejection involved with this. Like, I probably, I would say one in 10. So, like, I'll email the publicists or whoever for, or even the, the celebrities themselves, 10 celebrities, five won't say they won't respond at all. Uh, three or four will be like, <clears throat> no, we're not, you know, you're not big enough yet, or no, we're not interested in doing anything, not a good fit. And then one will say yes. And then sometimes like those people, uh, I won't name names, but you have to chase them down. Uh, like they'll say they'll be there and then they won't show up and they'll be like, oh crap, you know, sorry, didn't, you know, didn't make that happen or whatever. And, uh, um, and so, yeah, so a few of them I've had to like really work at getting, and there's a couple more that I've been like really working on, hoping to get them on there just cause they're going to be super interesting. So we'll see if that works out anyway. Um, so let's just go ahead and start, start, uh, answering questions we got we got i feel like we got a bunch this month let's see um favorite breakfast cereal as a kid and as an adult it's always been cinnamon toast crunch that's my favorite breakfast cereal and uh in fact my kids just made fun of me because just a few days ago uh my daughter was eating fruit loops and so i got like not just a bowl but like a big glass bowl and like and my daughter was just like, Dad, are you even like counting calories anymore? <laughs> I was like, I think it's obvious that I'm not. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there's no point between Thanksgiving and Christmas trying to cut. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You just try to try to limit the damage as much as you can. And a giant bowl of cinnamon toast crunch may not be the best way, but here we are. Okay, next one. If you had to do it all over, would you still be a plaintiff's trial lawyer? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. I thought I was going to be a prosecutor. I thought I was going to be putting bad guys in jail. But this is the most rewarding, I think, uh, because it's it's really hard. And, and that's the thing. I, you know, this may be kind of... Uh, I don't know, this may be me probably, you know, giving what we do too much credit, but I can't think of another field that would be 
more difficult to prosecute the cases because you're going in front of a group of people who don't who who are already suspect of your case really and asking them for money and uh it's hard you know um and the cases are complicated i mean the files are huge uh, i did a couple of preliminary uh preliminary hearings while I was in law school for the DA's office up in Sutter County. The case files were so small compared to the volumes and volumes of medical records and lost income documents and, you know, uh, um, expert reports and traffic collision reports and accident reconstructions and, and discovery re requests and responses and motions. Uh, you can have a case for three or four years before you get in front of a where you get in front of a judge and so um and it's a constant you know it's a, it's it's a long game of strategy um trying to make sure that your case is presented in the accurate way to highlight what your client's injuries are and uh and it's fun and so yeah i would i don't think i'd do it anything anything else so um Okay, uh, here we go with some anonymous ones here. Wish we talked more. Okay, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I don't know who you are, so I, I can't comment on whether I wish we talked more or not. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm always available for people if they've got questions or you know, need a friend, need someone to listen to, unless there's somebody who specifically knows why they're not, they shouldn't contact me and they know who they are. So, all right, next. My best friend thinks you're so, okay, so you're so cute. Well, thank you. I just very flattered every time I get one of these things. Sometimes I wonder if I'm just getting ribbed by a wrestler or something that they keep sending these same things. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. <clears throat> okay. What is your biggest fear? Okay. Well, I'm not going to get super existential about this. Uh, just, okay. Here's something. I, I hate to even admit this because I don't like, I don't know. I'm be very vulnerable though. I hate alligators. Oh my gosh. I hate them. I hate them so much. They scare me to death. Um, ever since that report of that kid, they got snatched up by an alligator outside of Disney world. I, and the parent tried to get the kid and couldn't pull the jaws apart. Like, Nope. I am like, Oh, ugh. just even thinking about an alligator. Just, it scares me to death. There is not a lot else that scares me, but that is definitely, that is definitely one of them. Okay, let's see. Uh, what made you want to be Mormon? I don't think anything made me want to be Mormon. I think I discovered that I believe that it's true. And so when you believe that uh, it's true, you know, it's interesting. I used to tell people on my mission, when we talk about this stuff, I would say, if there is a God out there and there is a way to get to heaven and there is indeed a heaven, meaning there's something out there that is like eternal and bigger than just what we're doing here. Don't you think that would be like the most important thing to know? And of course, they'd always say yes. And then say, well, if I, if I have a way that you could know that that's true would you want to follow it and they'd say yes i go okay well i do um and i didn't just say that because it was some sort of a sales pitch but it's because i believe it i believe that the pursuit if if there is a god and there are prophets on the earth today and there is a way that there is a savior and that savior helps you to overcome your imperfections and your sins and also provides you with with guidance and also provides you with, um, you know, uh, uh, peace, uh, 
that it's the most important thing in the world to know. And so if I know that it's true, why would I not do it? And so that's kind of been the framework. And I'm not by any means perfect at being a member of the church. I've got a lot, and nobody is. And if somebody, if you look at somebody in your ward and think that they're the perfect member, I guarantee you they're not, okay? Everybody's got something they're working on. But the beauty of the gospel is, is it's not about perfection as much as it is progress. I mean, yes, we're supposed to be perfect, but it's a, it's it's not possible. It's not possible to be perfect in this in this world except through uh, taking the sacrament and being forgiven. And so, um, but, but if I, but if you wanted, you know, to expound a little bit more, what are some of the things I enjoy about being Mormon or why do I think it's a good way to live? I think it's good because it, it provides you a good framework on how, on, on healthy living. I mean, I don't think there's anyone out there who would say that, um, abstaining from, coffee and tea and maybe not tea. I don't know about tea, but like alcohol, drugs, smoking is a bad thing. I don't think there's anybody out there who would say that family focus is a bad thing or, you know, setting one day aside to not be running around, uh, you know, in the rat race and kind of setting it aside for family and holy things would be a bad thing or, having a community or giving charity and giving meaningful service uh, and volunteer work and, um, you know, visiting somebody monthly uh, who might need some assistance. I don't think anybody's going to say that those things are, are bad. Now there are some, you know, cultural things that probably need to change over time um, just because of the imperfections of people. But I don't think, let's put it this way. I, my, uh, the, the patriarch who gave me my what's called patriarchal blessing, which is a blessing you get usually in your teenage years. And uh, it's a blessing that's supposed to be kind of a guide for your life. They place their hands on your head and give you this blessing. He said to me beforehand, he said, if, if it came out tomorrow that the church was all a big ruse, I would still be grateful for the run. And I think I would too. It's given me a good framework to work from, um, a framework of morality um, that I think is generally healthy. And you may disagree with certain points here and there, but I think in I think in in the the grand scheme of things, um, it's it's a good way to live. So. Voila. Um, how often do people ask you to get stuff down from the top shelf in a store? Yeah, that happens occasionally. But I'll tell you, it's obviously because of my height being six seven. Uh, it's not. It doesn't happen as much as people asking me how tall I am. That happens almost daily. Um, and not only that, but also people just generally staring at me. Happens quite a bit as well. Um, like anytime I walk into a room, I'm being sized up. And, uh, and sometimes it bothers me. But, um, but I realize that what's usually going on is somebody wants to talk to me and it's the most obvious thing to strike up a conversation. So if I could take a few minutes of my day and, and engage them, then there's not wrong. I just wish people had a little bit more variety in what they say. How tall are you? Did you play basketball? Did you play sports? You look like Ben Affleck. If whatever, like that just seems to be the things I get all the time. Um, but, but no, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's, it, I would much rather be this size than any other size. I think it's, it's good. And I don't mind helping people get stuff off of the shelf either. So there we go. Ever thought of wearing a onesie? Mm. No, that's gimmick infringement. Uh, my buddy Trip Rogers uh, is the onesie wearer. There's a, 
bit of a controversy there on whether he is indeed wearing a onesie or something else. And I would say that uh, I've uh, never once thought of wearing a onesie because anyone who would wear a onesie would be ridiculous. And anyone calling uh, onesie uh, athletic apparel is also, I mean, a little delusional, right? So uh, there we are. No, never thought of wearing a onesie. Let's see here. Saw the pic on Facebook of you in the ring with that guy. Dude looked huge. Okay, so I think you're probably referring to the picture I just recently posted of me with the seven-footer, and he is huge. Yeah, that. Uh, so, yeah, that was actually a pretty cool moment for me. I've never wrestled anybody who was bigger than me. Um, not that I wrestled him yet, but I uh, had a stare down with a seven-footer in the middle of the ring quite an interesting experience being on this end of uh, that. Now I see how everybody else is feeling, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, just so everybody knows, you know, if, if the wrestling community listening to this, um, you know, not to pull the curtain back necessarily, but I would say uh, got my for my first chance to work with Next Level Pro Wrestling, and I would say that Justin, the promoter who put it together, uh, nothing but. Uh, uh, great things to say about my experience there um it was uh uh it was a good experience working for him and, and working the show they had a, a pretty great crowd as well especially considering how close we are to christmas and how cold it was um and uh and i was also really grateful this was my first time working kind of a <clears throat> royal rumble style match and uh so didn't really know what to expect and uh, uh, it was it was a, a really great experience. And I got to say also, and again, that's maybe I'm you know breaking kayfabe or whatever by by doing this. But so I was in the I was in the ring. I got into the ring, and you know there was a little list of you know what numbers everyone was drawing, and and I saw that when I was getting in there, um, that both of the Stoner brothers uh rick scott and scott rick were going to be in the ring and uh anybody who knows them knows <clears throat> that those guys uh when you're you know you're newer or you're just breaking back in that uh you know they they uh they welcome you to the business you know in uh, in battle royals and such and so i was like well this is going to be interesting i've never been in the ring with the stoner brothers and uh I've known them for a long time and I have so much respect for them as a tag team. They are just staples of the North Northern California community. And so uh, I was like, well, this is going to be interesting how this is going to work out. They're both going to be in there and I'm going to come in. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And, uh, and I got to, I'm not going to get too far into it. You can go, I'm sure it's, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. I know that Randy's posted the the video of the rumble, but I have to say like, I am very grateful to the stoners for uh just everything that occurred um before during and after the show um i have so much respect for those guys they were awesome uh love them to death would book them anytime sometimes they get a little bit of a bad rap you know because they they do they do voice their opinions pretty strongly and they do it on social media they do it to your face you know, they're, they're, they have strong personalities, but that's just because they're passionate. And I got to tell you, like that experience with them, uh, I was really grateful I had it. And I just wanted to say, you know, without pulling too much wool, you know, pulling too much, uh, you know, uh, bringing kayfabe too much. I just wanted to say that like those guys, uh, yeah, nothing but respect for them. And I appreciated uh, what they did for me. So, um We'll just leave it at that. But, but yeah, dude's big and it, uh, you know, we'll see where it leads. We had a good stare down and, uh, you know, if I get in the ring with a seven footer, I would enjoy the experience. So we'll see, um, you know, keep, uh, keep watching in here and I'm sure you'll, you'll hear about it if it happens. So, uh, okay. I want to be you when I grow up, but I'm 40 and I probably never will. Yeah. I gotta say, uh, 
I don't think you do. <laughs> it's, I don't think you want to be me. I, uh, it's, it's, it's too much. Like, I know that like on, you know, social media and stuff like that. Like I put a lot of positive stuff out there and people watch my life. And, you know, in fact, when I was there at the show, someone came up to me and he was like, you're so busy. It's like, you're doing so many things. You're podcasting, you're a lawyer, you're a wrestler, you're taking your daughter to all these different things. And, you know, you're taking your kids out and doing all this stuff and Kings games and stuff. I thought I was busy. You're so busy. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I know that like, it looks like my life is, is really great and it is, it is great. Um, but the amount of trauma and difficulty fight the war within yourself that you got to do to get here, like this year, 11 years in was probably the most time I've ever taken a, away from the office and uh i took a one-week vacation for the first time in 11 years like a full week and then i took two two-day breaks like you know in a weekend like a four-day weekend that's it that's it in 11 years and i mean like you know you're taking client calls at disneyland while you're with your daughter and you're answering 400 emails while you're standing in line. Um, you know, or like when you take your, you know, your kids, you're at, you're at a Metallica concert and responding to text messages in between opening sets during court, you know, you're doing court calls, praying that your case doesn't get called until you're out of the, you know, ungodly school drop off line, you know, um, you know, uh, it's it's a constant grind and you just have to have this drive like it it's it's you know on the on the worst day of my life when everything changed and i realized that nothing in my life was quite as what i thought it was um i made two phone calls then i went to work and and that's that's what it takes you know, it takes, you just gotta, you gotta keep showing up no matter what, you know, you got trauma, you show up, you're sad, you show up, you know, someone attempted suicide, you show up, you know, someone's trying to mess up what you're trying to achieve, trying to hurt you and, you know, trying to hurt you or your kids or you're messing with you, you know, you best you can do is close the door take a moment don't show anyone you're hurting and you come out like a machine you just keep going and uh it's what it takes you know it it takes a level you know share a story you know this is just uh, josh edlow therapy hour i suppose when i was a law clerk my mom called me in the middle of the day. She called me like three times because I wasn't answering. And so I answered and I go, hello. She's like, I just want to let you know that so-and-so, you know, family member, not super close family member, but, you know, a close enough family member had uh, jumped off the Forest Hill Bridge. And uh, I just remember being so focused that I just said, okay, anything else? She was like, no. And uh, I just hung up and I keep going, kept going to work. Didn't even take a day off. You know? And uh, you know, I have been incredibly successful and I live a very good life, but sometimes when you look back at those moments, uh you wonder if it was even worth it. You know. So it is, that's a, a long, sad, probably melodramatic way of saying everybody wants all of the spoils of war 
but they don't want to fight it. So like you have to be willing to do things that everybody else who doesn't have those things uh, won't do. And that means when everybody else is partying and taking days off and they're taking, you know, Oh, I got my two weeks vacation. I'm going to go here. You're not doing that. You're grinding. And when you are on vacation, you're still grinding. And when you're driving, you know, you're, you're driving home. This is a true story. Driving home from a vacation with your kids, sending emails while driving down the road because you got a, b- a bunch of stuff that's due that day and you're getting ready to come back to work. You know, you're, you're literally dropping your kids off and then you're going straight to work so that you can do a, a meeting with defense counsel on a trial that you have coming up in the next three weeks. Like that is, it is a constant grind up at five bed whenever things are done up again the next day and it never stops. So you want to be me? That's what it takes. So. Sorry, I know you were just joking, but the internet. Anyway, all right. What's one thing you wish your kids understood better? I wish my kids understood more that the life that they live now is like a miracle to me when I was their age. You know what I mean? Uh, And that's the thing, like, I, I, I know that what I just said is very, like, dramatic and hard and sounds like, wow, that's really kind of sad, Josh. But understand, like, I was fully willing to do it. And I accepted that that's what it was going to take um because i wanted so badly for my kids to have things that i didn't have and i knew that that's what it was going to take i knew that i didn't have anything particularly special about me that was going to get me there and i didn't have anybody not that i didn't have parents that were generally supportive and things like that they they generally were but like as far as how to get there you know, like I just didn't have any anybody really that was going to help me get there because they just they didn't know they, they didn't, you know, they hadn't gone that route. They hadn't tried to be an attorney and tried to open a wrestling promotion or become a pro wrestler. Like they just didn't know. They just didn't know how, you know. And so I just accepted that if I was going to get there, I was just going to have to work really, 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 really hard. And um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, much to my detriment, you know at times like i recognize that those times i probably should have taken a moment you know and and processed some things um but i'm also of the opinion and i try to this is another thing i i wish my kids understood better and that is like we live in this generation and i'm not saying it's necessarily bad i want to make this very clear but i think it's misunderstood there's a lot of buzzwords particularly in the therapy world like feel your feelings right or my truth or uh don't invalidate my experience i've heard these before right and i'll focus on the feel your feelings thing because i've they've heard that and i'm like okay you're right feel your feelings but like understand that feel your feelings doesn't mean that you shirk your responsibilities. It doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, still perform in life. And uh, at times I feel in the people that I know who would say something like that, including, you know, my children at times when they say, well, don't, you know, I I'm allowed to have feelings. Yes, you are allowed to have feelings. And yes, you are allowed to feel them. And yes, you are allowed to feel bad if you are feeling bad. But at some point, you also have to understand that just because you feel bad doesn't mean that you don't have to get your schoolwork done, go to your extracurricular activities, clean your room, uh, 
you know, do your chores. Because in the end, we're, we're trying to teach these kids something, and I think it's an incredibly important thing to teach them, which is that you can have bad feelings. You could have a bad time. You could be really struggling and also achieving at the same time. You just have to gut through it. So, you know, if you, if by feel your feelings, you mean, you know what, like I, like I tell my kids, if you're, if you need to feel your feelings, if you're, you're having a hard time, you need to, you need to take a quick break. Fine. Time limit. Something bad happens. You're feeling bad. You're having a difficulty in a relationship or something, or, you know, someone did something that hurt you. Take the night, sleep it off. Watch your favorite show, get on your YouTube, get on your social media. They don't have social media. My kids aren't on there other than on my YouTube channel. But like, you know, um, you know, take your night and just do that thing. But guess what? The next day, back to business. Because all your problems, you know, feelings don't make your problems go away. And so um, sometimes you got to power through. So I wish my kids understood that too. Um, okay, let's see. Next. I once overheard you saying at church that you tend to look inward before looking outward. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so um, this is an interesting one. Uh so what I mean by that is um, sometimes you have people who, uh, who for whatever reason, um, whether they're, I don't know if it's like a protection of ego or their, you know, uh, shame or something of that nature. They tend to want to point the finger at everybody else um, or they want to find excuses externally uh, for the reasons why they are unhappy or the reason why they do bad things or for the reason why certain things have happened to them. And like me personally, I do the inverse. I am not necessarily. Um, and maybe to my detriment, really. I mean, maybe maybe too much. I tend to look inward, but I am not interested necessarily in protecting my ego per se. Like, I, I want to know what the actual problem is, right? So, uh, because you need to know what the actual problem is to solve it, and so you've got to look at every avenue, right? When you've got an issue, look at every angle. You know, maybe I'm too analytical, but that's how I look at it. And there's always a possibility in any issue, whether it's an issue with, you know, the way you're feeling or the way that maybe a relationship or maybe the way you're being treated at work or maybe the, the you know, you have an issue with your parents or your kids or your significant other or whatever. There's always a chance uh, that I am the problem, right? And if you're not willing to do that self-reflection, as some people just apparently won't, and you run into a situation where you are actually the problem, it will never get solved. And the funny thing is, quite frankly, in my own life, like I see a lot of people, uh, and I'm not judging them necessarily by saying this, I'm just saying it's just something I observe. I see a lot of people who keep having the same problem happen over and over and over. Oh, I can't find the right person. Oh, I'm having an issue with this friend or that friend. My, my, you know, my, my parents have cut me off or my children won't talk to me. And, and at what point when this stuff like it keeps happening to you, do you look inward and say, Hmm, is the common denominator in this issue me? Right. And so I, and I, I had a, a, a professor of psychology one time say this. He was sharing an um, experience about issues he was having with his daughter. And he said, um, 
you know, so what I do is I make an assessment and I look at it and I go, okay, so, you know, here are all my kids and I'm having this problem with this one kid and go, okay, so like, do I have this issue with the other kids? No. Do I have this issue with any of the other important relationships in my life? No. Does this person have similar issues with other people in their life? Yes. Okay. There's the common denominator. And, and so if I look at things and I go, hmm, okay, so I, and it's hard. It's hard. That doesn't mean necessarily if you identify that you are the problem, that that means the change is going to happen immediately. Right. But like at the same time, when you look at it and go, hmm, okay, so I keep having the same issue. So if I'm having the same issue, at what point do I look at it and say, it's me? Right. And so I try to do that assessment. And like I said, I, that is not to say, you, know, you ask the question, what do I mean by that? Is I tend to do the self-assessment first before looking at the external, uh, at the external. And now that, that does, I would say it does result in a little bit of, um, like, I don't want to say self-loathing, but it, it can, if you, if you let that run too far, it can result in you feeling a lot worse about yourself than you should and being a little too hard on yourself. We're our own worst enemies. At least I am when it comes to this stuff, but anyhow, that's what I meant. So hopefully that clarifies it for you. And if you wanted to talk to me, you know, people who ask questions like that, they, they have more, they tend to have more questions. Feel free. You can always stop me at church and talk to me about it. I don't, I, and understand, I'm not saying I think I can help. I can just explain a little bit more. I can just explain a little bit more how I'm feeling. Okay. Uh, saw your trip with your daughter looked like fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's funny how that came about. I'll just share the story real quick. You know, my daughter and I, I kind of shared a little bit with this on, on Facebook. My daughter, uh, for whatever reason, um, this daughter, uh, Piper, you know, her and I, we sometimes just, it's harder for me, for whatever reason, to engage her in this way. I, I tend to do a lot of daddy-daughter dates, father-son outings, things of that nature. For whatever reason, like, she just has never really been interested in doing anything like that. And so, um, so I've been looking, like, literally for years because I've been asking her. I'm like, you know, I go to a bunch of concerts, and my sons love them. My daughter has gotten into them, too. She likes musicals. We, you know, go to every musical or hit the Sacramento area ever, I feel like. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, all of the other three love going to Kings games. I can get Piper to maybe one a year. Like, it's just, it's really tough. And so finally she says, I want to see this band called Lovejoy. And I'd never heard of them before. I didn't know who they were, but I was like, okay. And I looked online and <clears throat> I looked online and I saw that they were coming. And the only time they were going to be in the Western States based on their, on their website was going to be that Saturday. And uh, the funny thing about it was she, um, I, I, for whatever reason, I must have not been paying a lot of attention, but like it was at the forum in LA and I, 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 I was looking at it and I go, the forum was sold out. And I go, the forum is sold out? For these guys? Who are these people? How have I not heard of these people? So anyway, I went on the secondary market and I bought the tickets. And when the tickets popped through, what well, was a second? It was a ticket master, but it was like a resale or whatever. And I and I bought it and it showed a ticket to um, this thing called, uh, it was called Almost Acoustic Christmas. And I was like, what? And I looked it up and it was a festival. And they were playing with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Offspring and Garbage. And I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I love those bands. This is going to be a lot of fun. And so I told my secretary, clear the calendar. And uh, we made a weekend of it. We went to Disneyland day one. We went to Santa Monica Pier day two. And then uh, day three, we went to this place called Bubble World. By the way, if you have daughters, um, 
And even like, I think boys would like it too. Bubble World, if you're in LA, that place was a lot of fun. We had a great time. I mean, just like 14 different rooms of all different like bubble stuff. Like there was a room that was filled with balloons that you could run through. There was like the like a gigantic ball pit that even adults could get in. They had all these interactive things. Um, just a lot of fun. And uh, so that, and then we went to the concert. And I got to tell you, this Lovejoy band, when they popped up, you would have thought, you would have thought the Beatles had shown up. I mean, like the girls were screeching and Piper was taking pictures and I could see that uh, I didn't look at the text, but she was texting her girl, you know, her girlfriends about Lovejoy. And the crazy thing was, as we got there 30, like, so the concert started at six. Uh, they were supposed to go on at six fifty. Red Hot Chili Peppers ended up having to pull out because their, their guitar player broke his finger. So they're going to come back in March. <clears throat> so I got to figure out getting down there in March to, uh, to see the Chili Peppers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and the one band of all of them that is my favorite was Offspring. They were closing at 10 or 9.30 or something like that. And so uh, anyway, we got there at 6.30 because Lovejoy was going on at 6.50. And so and the concert had only been open for a half an hour. And we walked in and all of Lovejoy's merch was sold out in the entire building. It was it was crazy. And so I ended up having to buy her a, a T-shirt online. Um, so anyway, that so yeah, and uh, decent music. They're pretty good. I guess the lead singer is some British um, YouTuber. And so that's why they're so popular. But um, yeah, so that that was them. And then Offspring put on a killer show. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, and I have to put a shout out. I've been telling everybody in the world about this. Um, so there's this band called the Bleachers that were there. And apparently this guy, Jack Antonoff, is like Taylor Swift's main co-writer. And it was one of my favorite bands, like, I think I've heard in a long, long time. It sounds, it's like an 80s, 90s vibe. It feels like when you're there, you're like in the middle of a John Hughes movie. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Really enjoyed them. And so I, when I go to the gym, I, I've listened to the music and just having a great time. So if you ever get a chance to check out The Bleachers, highly recommend it. It is not for my hard rock fans. I know I'm a big Metallica guy. It's it's not like that. It's like 80s, 90s pop music. It'll take you down that road, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it a lot. So there we are. Okay. So um, now, so this is the this is the big one here. Got this question. Uh, got an email from a listener, and. Uh, this might resonate with a number of people because I know of uh, uh, quite a few people who are in this similar circumstance, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, addressing it a little bit. So here we go. <clears throat> Dear Josh, love the podcast. I'm a relatively recent listener, and I've been doing a bit of a deep dive into some of your older podcasts. I appreciate your insight as a member of the church and on relationships. I don't know, I don't know why that is. Um as a father, you can probably relate to my plight here. Apologies for the long email, but I'm kind of in a jam. All right. My wife and I have been married for almost 17 years. We have five kids ranging from 15 to three. About five years ago, I got the distinct impression that we needed to move out of California and move to Utah. She is not a particular fan of the cold, and she did not want to move at the time, but I told her that I had felt the spirit tell me that we needed to move. She agreed to move with me, and we did so. While here in Utah, I started to have questions concerning church history and the way that the prophets have behaved in the past. I won't go into it because I don't want to sway anyone's beliefs, but I have since made the decision to leave the church. My wife has decided that she still believes, and I support her and my five kids going. We continue to pay tithing at her request, so I am fully supportive, even though I have changed my beliefs. Since leaving, I have begun to start doing things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't when I was a member. 
For example, I drink coffee at work and will drink at parties and social events. I do not drink around the kids, although I have come home once or twice and my kids could smell alcohol on my breath. We had a conversation about it and I agreed to not come home if I would be drinking. My wife did not like that decision. Instead, she has asked me to stop drinking entirely. I don't think this is a big deal. I don't drink often, maybe once a week at most, but I do enjoy it when I do. This issue has come up recently again. It's come up repeatedly, and so I have started uh, hiding my drinking from her when it happens. I know that's not good, but I don't know what else to do. See, she recently told me that she is fed up and that if I am going to continue drinking, she is considering separating from me and possibly divorcing me. Uh, That is the scariest thing to me because I don't want to be away from my children. Uh, I feel that this is seriously extreme for the circumstance, and I feel like the church is now taking precedence over me. I think that's unfair and makes the church more like a cult. It has gotten in between me and my spouse, and I'm angry. I get the sense that you have dealt with difficulties uh, similar to this, and you seem rather level-headed and non-judgmental. You say you talk to a lot of people who are struggling like this, so I thought I'd reach out. Any thoughts? Thanks again. Even just writing it out was kind of helpful to process. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know what you mean by that I've dealt with something similar. I, um, I have never, um, even at at times when I've struggled or, um, even like ever really just because of my family background, I've never, um, been somebody who was into drinking. So I, I really haven't dealt with that, um, uh, before um what i what i will say though is that uh it, it you're not alone in this um in this kind of difficulty that you're experiencing um quite frankly i, I think it's happening a lot recently um so just know you're not alone in this kind of unique circumstance to members of the church. Uh, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you if I'm being completely honest, um, I think I probably, uh, identify a little bit more with your wife than you a little bit. Um, that is not a judgment on you. And what I'm about to say and the advice I'm going to give you is not really a value judgment on whether drinking is okay or not, or, you know, um, whether you deciding to go to church or not was a good or bad thing. It's not, I want to make it very clear that I'm not placing any sort of value judgment on any of that as much as I am kind of going to talk about a little bit about boundaries. Um, so <clears throat> this is, this is a hard one, right? It's a hard one for for you. Um, and it's a hard one for her. And, and, and I can understand the, um, the, tendency to blame the church, but, and understand, like, it's hard for me to assess. These things are hard for me to assess when I'm getting like an email that like, if we were talking on the phone, I could ask you a bunch of questions that could help me clarify some points. So some of the stuff I say, maybe it's not directly on point. Maybe I'm kind of drawing from experiences of other people that I've, I've heard and maybe even my own a little bit. Um, um, but, but I think what I'd start with is just I want to probably give you a sense of 
what's going on from her perspective here. Okay. And, and also just kind of give you, you know, some things to think about. Uh, I'm assuming when you got married, you were an active member of the church. Um, and uh, I'm assuming that when you got married, she also was an active member of the church. And uh, now if you were just leaving the church and you just decided you didn't want to go anymore, <clears throat> I question whether that would have really been a big issue. The issue is, is that when you're an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that comes with it a certain moral compass, if you will, like a certain moral standard that you live by. And, and, and part of that is, is you don't drink. And I got to imagine that if, if your wife and you and your wife, when you got married, I think there was an understanding that you would have the same moral standard when it came to alcohol. Now, I understand, like, things change, right? I understand that um, your, your feelings have changed on that. But I'm guessing that if you guys talked about this, or at least it was assumed, that when you got married, that alcohol would not be a part of your guys' lives, or at least not in your home. And uh, and so that you knew was a moral boundary for her, right? And so <clears throat> you making the decisions that you've made to start drinking or um, you know, even the drinking coffee, which doesn't sound like it's been as big of an issue as the drinking, um, that those things, you know, you've kind of changed the moral boundaries for you. And, <clears throat> you know, if she's the type of person who, who didn't want alcohol to be a part of her life, didn't you know, wanted her kids to grow up with two sober parents. I mean, like, you know, sober, sober, like always sober parents. Um, you've kind of changed that. You've, you've changed the moral compass. And that that's, that's probably not something that she ever wanted. Now, this whole idea, this whole thing that you're talking about, this whole thing about you know, the drinking may not be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal to her. If she's saying that she's considering separating from you and possibly divorcing you uh, over this, it is a big deal to her. She's set now a boundary for you. What she's saying is, if you want to be married to me, you can't drink. Now, I'm not saying that's fair or unfair or that that's okay or not. But for her, in her relationship, that is a boundary for her. A boundary that I bet you've known your entire marriage, right? So that hasn't changed. So now I think what you really have to assess is what's more important. Is, is your wife more important or is the drinking more important? Now here's a little thing that I just noticed as I was reading that, um, that I found really interesting. It may have been a slip. It may be of no consequence at all. But I did find it really interesting that when you were talking about being afraid, you were afraid of not having your kids all the time and didn't mention your wife, right? So, you know, maybe there's some things that, you know, I don't know about it, but Again, whether it's your kids or not, it's really, you know, the, the idea that you're you're not 
necessarily being being honest uh, with her about about it, or you're you know you're you're kind of hiding it from her. I don't think that that's very good. Um, I, I actually think of this. It's going to sound kind of silly, but I'm a big Karate Kid fan. And there's something that Mr. Miyagi said that um, has always stuck with me, kind of. So when Daniel first comes to him and they're going to start training, he says, he goes, okay, are you ready? And Daniel says, yeah, I guess so. And he said, okay, hold on. And he said, you're walking down a road. You work on walk on the right side, okay. Walk on the left side, okay. Walk down middle, squash like grape. He goes here, same thing. You karate do, okay. You karate no, okay. You karate guess so, squash like grape. So right now, you're walking down the middle of the road. You understand that your wife is telling you. If you want to get married or you want to stay married, rather, to me, you have to stop drinking. You're walking down the middle of the road. You're drinking and you're hiding it from her. You're going to get squashed. And you're not being your authentic self. Right? So I think if you're asking my advice, which you are because you sent me an email, um, you're either got to, you know, accept that okay, I want to stay married, so I have to stop drinking socially. It's not that big a deal, according to you. So if it's not that big a deal, just go ahead and quit. Or tell her, okay, if you're going to separate from me over this, fine. But I'm not going to stop because it's important to me. I enjoy it. It's something I enjoy, and I want to continue. So if you are going to divorce me over this, I will accept that consequence. Now, that is way easier said than done. I understand there's a thousand, you know, a thousand things to think about, including your five five kids. But in the end, that's really what it's all about, right? It's it's what are you going to do? And I and I want you to also understand because I've I've been, you know, without pulling the curtain back too much, I've been in your wife's situation because. I mean, you're sitting there, and this is this is what she's hearing. And I just I want you to think about this. I, I don't know what you've done. If this is if you guys have done therapy or whatever, you know, everybody it feels like everybody's doing therapy now. But what she's hearing when you're saying it's not that big a deal, and she's telling you, and I'm and I'm guessing you said this has come up. It sounds like it's come up more than once when she's constantly telling you. Do not do this. This is a boundary. And you keep doing it. And you keep telling her it's not that big a deal. What you're telling her is this thing that's not that big of a deal is more important than her. And she's supposed to be the most important thing in your life. But this thing that you keep saying is not that big a deal, that is so important that you're willing to lie to her or you're willing to you know, you're, you're willing to um, continue doing it, uh, right? And I can tell you that when you set a boundary like that and the person just keeps jumping over it and then, and I'm not saying this is what you do, but I'm kind of extrapolating what it probably goes, goes like, you know, you get caught and then she goes, ah, uh, you know, like I told you I didn't want you doing this. Okay, okay, fine, I get it. All right, fine, I'll stop. I won't do it anymore. And then she catches you again. And then you're like, okay, okay. Now I, this time I, I really won't this time. And then you do it again. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I'm, I'm a jerk. Fine. You know what? Fine. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you get caught again. At some point, the apologies start to wear thin. Like at some point, the I'm sorry's are no longer working. And, and every time, like you set a boundary and you're, partner doesn't listen a little piece of your heart like gets further and further and further away and so if she's been continually telling you over time 
this is what I need you to do and you're not doing it, just understand that every time you don't do it, the chances of you, you know, being able to rectify, to fix that or rectify it is getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. And eventually, you know, and I, and I also have to tell you this, you know, the other thing that's really probably going to be a problem is, so now she's threatening divorce. And then you're like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not going to do it anymore. Why does she have to threaten divorce? Right? Like, why does she have to threaten divorce to get you to realize that she's serious? That's hard too. And, you know, I, I'm afraid that, that if you don't start listening to her on this issue, um, you know, it's one day her heart's going to be too blocked up and then it's going to be too late. And you're going to have wished that you would have done it sooner. Right now, again, this is, I, I don't mean to be harping on you and I want to make it clear. I, you know, in any relationship here, I'm sure that, um, that she's got stuff to work on too and all that stuff. And that, you know, she's not perfect. And I'm sure that there's a bunch else to go through, but you know, that's where it's at. It's a tough road. You know, you're on the tough road and I wish you well. Um, I hope you can work it out satisfactory in any way that it, it can. Again, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not making any value judgments here. I respect everybody's, ability to make their own choices in their free agency. And just because you choose one way over another doesn't make you a bad person. And I hope you don't think that by me kind of telling you what was going on from her perspective is, um, is me saying that you are a bad person. Not, not at all. Um, it's just a matter of understanding where, you know, each other is coming from, and hopefully you can have a conversation about that. And maybe you can share with her what benefits you get out of drinking and why you want to do it. And, you know, maybe there is some bridge there that you can get, that you can get, I don't know, but uh, whatever it is, I wish you well. That was it. That was it this month. I want to, um, I want to wrap up by just saying, you know, this is going to come out on Christmas day. And um, I just wanted to, to say and start by saying that, you know, this, this Christmas season, it's, you know, sure, there's, Chris, there's, there's gifts and there's, you know, there's the hustle and bustle, there's Christmas trees, there's, you know, making sure everybody gets their you know, gets everything in, you go to family stuff and eat dinner and all that stuff. But I want to say that, remember that um, the reason for this season really, and what it means to me is that the savior came down and um, came down, was born, and created a pathway for which all of the uh, terms and conditions of the plan of salvation became operative. And, um, and through that atonement um, brought to pass the eternal life of all mankind. And so we have the opportunity to be saved from death, hell, and the devil. <clears throat> um, and I want people to know that um, there's one thing that I know of a surety, and that is that Jesus Christ suffered in Gethsemane 
and on the cross for us. I have felt his love in my life. I have felt the um, the healing power of the atonement so, so many times. And, um, and uh, the thing that I think is so important to know is that I, I want people to know that I do believe that God knows you by name, that it's not some just floaty spirit out there in the universe, but it's a specific father in heaven who knows you, knows your, your goals, your desires, knows your weaknesses, knows your struggles, knows your pain, knows your trauma. The Savior went through all of those things specifically so that he could understand you. I also believe that if you were the only imperfect person in the world, he would have done the exact same thing just for you. So, um, why am I Mormon? Because being Mormon gave me that testimony. And it's carried me through a lot of hard and beautiful times. It often buoys me up and uh Sometimes it is the only thing that keeps me going. So we get here on this Christmas season and you're around family, or maybe you're not. You know, maybe you're alone. Um, Just know that you are loved. Just know that you matter and just know that God loves you. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and that you have all of the things you've ever hoped for. And I will see you again next time.